Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com, and we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Rollbar. How important is it for you to catch errors before your users do? What if you could resolve those errors in minutes and then deploy with confidence? That's exactly what Rollbar enables for software teams. One of the most frustrating things we all deal with is errors. Most teams either A, rely on their users to report errors, or B, use log files and lists of errors to debug problems. That's such a waste of time. Instantly know what's broken and why with Rollbar. Reduce time wasted debugging and automatically capture errors alongside rich diagnostic data to help you defeat impactful errors. You can integrate Rollbar into your existing workflow. It integrates with your source code repository and deployment system to give you deep insights into exactly what changes caused each error. For our .NET friends, adding the Rollbar.NET SDK is as easy as adding the NuGet package and your API key. It supports .NET Core, ASP, MVC, Xamarin, and more. Give Rollbar a try today at no cost to you. No credit card is required. Our listeners get access to the Bootstrap plan with 100,000 events for free for 90 days. To get started, head to rollbar.com slash changelog. back everybody this is the change local podcast featuring the hackers leaders and innovators of open source i'm adam stakoviak editor-in-chief of changelog today jared and i are talking to daniel stenberg about 20 years of curl what a history that is what's new in http2 and the baxter of quick a new transport designed by jim Roskind at google which offers reduced latency compared to that of tcp plus tls plus http2 Daniel, we last had you on the change log when Curl was 17 years old. Now Curl has turned 20, and a lot has changed in those three years. But I think we should start with this quote and from a tweet that you put out recently, which I loved and we retweeted, which said, 20 years of maintaining open source, and all I ever got is an awesome career, friends all over the world, and a gold medal from the Swedish king. You got to start with the gold medal, right? Get to, the, get to the important stuff first. Tell us this story. So I was awarded an engineering prize in Sweden. It's named after an old Swedish engineer called the Polham Prize. So it's uh, an old distinguished prize that they have been handing out for, I think, 120 years or so. Uh, so um, really an, a prestigious prize given out to engineers and inventors of different things over the years and uh, yeah in 2017 I was awarded and given this prize and um, well it comes in the form of a, a gold medal and a cash part and, nice. at, the, and at the award ceremony uh, in October I believe it was in 2017 I, I sh- was awarded this gold medal from the Swedish king who was there and gave it to me so I got to sh- shake his hand and say thanks. That's awesome. And in the, in the in the tweet, which is linked in the notes, there is a picture of you shaking, I, I assume that's him, the Swedish king's <laughs> hand there. Exactly. Yes, yeah. Now, you just tweeted this a few days back, May 18th. We're recording this on May 22nd, 2018. So uh, on a time delay, did something bring it to your mind or did you finally get a copy of the picture that you could share? Why, why the delay on the tweet if this happened back 
late last year. So, so I brought it up from a completely different reason. Actually, it was more I I previous to that tweet, I tweeted another image that was one of these funny things, you know, uh, about one of these fake O'Reilly covers from a book that says thanks thanklessly maintaining open source and a sad llama on it as if sort of you know more of the constant mantra that is maintaining open source is a bit of a thankless job many times and we do a lot of things and and but and then someone <laughs> replied to me and said well you got a gold medal so i <laughs> just <laughs> so I, I just had so, to sort of show the other side of the coin really because i think i have gotten a lot of good things from open source and i enjoy mm -hmm. it a lot so it's really not a it's it's not an ordeal or a struggle for me it's a it's, it's a pleasure and f i do it for fun so i just wanted to bring out some of the goodness and, and yeah. goodness that i experience from from working with open source well this is only your second time on the show but it's it's probably the umpteenth time that your name has been mentioned since we had you on three years back because you impressed us so much with the 17 years of dedication to curl and just this relentless pursuit of what is you know uh, such a popular widely used tool and so relied upon like this is definitely the web's infrastructure type of a thing um and and, and so many people burn out fizzle out projects change you know corporate interests like so many things go what we might consider wrong wrong in terms of sustainability but with you it's like you're 20 and you're still rolling do you have a you got a retire you have a retirement date in mind or what are you thinking for this uh, sometimes I, I i think about what i would do if i wouldn't do this but it, um, no i haven't I, I, i'm still enjoying this so much and i haven't i don't see anything else that i want to do as much as as this and so yeah this is really my my baby still so very much so i keep on doing it for, for the fun of it the thing that is kind of interesting about the 20 years aspect is not so much the length of time but the the amount of time i guess is somewhat the same but a slightly different side of the coin is that it's been involved in your life you know like it's been a part of your life since 27 i'm assuming since it's 20 years you're now 47 doing some basic math here it's a lot of time that's your Almost 20s half. your 30s and your 40s basically i mean it's a lot of time it is it is totally a part of my life and it's and i've been doing it this, I've started, I mean, the first code I wrote was even before curl. So it's like, it's, it's strictly speaking more than it's like the 23 years. And yeah, there it's older than my kids. It's older than my house. I, you know, I've switched, <laughs> I've switched jobs like three, four times since then. So it's, it's one of the most constant factors in my life really. It's just been with me since forever. So it's, yes, it's, it's really something that I don't really I don't really consider giving up ever really because it's so it's me really. Do you own the full copyright to curl or is it community what's the structure like the the maybe the legal implications to like the ownership of it? I own most copyrights but not everything. Um I haven't really been very strict about it either so if people contribute a, a larger chunk that they want to have their copyright on that's fine. So we have a, a bunch of different other copyright holders on various parts, but I would say that maybe 70, 80% of everything has my copyrights on it. I, I asked that mainly because of the question Jared asked, which is what are you going to do? You know, what would you do otherwise, essentially? You know, at some point you'll have to pass it on. Yeah, of course. Yes. You know, by so force or by desire. <laughs> exactly. Not being yeah, morbid but, or anything. 
but is it is uh, i mean it is open sourced and it's licensed extremely liberal so anyone is free to continue wherever they feel like at that point or or that at, at any point really kind of reminds me of this conversation we had uh, off air at build with the python team there adam about really the the passing down of the torch uh, from Guido Van Rossum to whomever is next with regards to the Python project. And when you have a BDFL, um, if that BDFL is really good at doing BDFL things, everything goes well. But eventually, there needs to be uh, a, a passing of the torch. Have you put serious thoughts into that, or are you are you are you far enough away? Of course, with that, you know, we always bring up the somewhat morbid conversation of the bus factor. Like, what if something bad happens to Guido or to yourself, Daniel? Um, but more likely, like, you know, an eventual retirement from software or from open source. Is that something that you're, is actively in your mind or does it just feel like it's really far away at this point? Both, yes. And I would say that it, it is active in my mind that in, in the regards that I've been thinking about it. And I've sort of I've given it thoughts about how to do it at some point in time. But it's not something that I consider doing anytime soon sort of hand it over to someone i my ideal case or my ideal situation would be that it would it, within the project there would be one or two or three persons that would be sort of the natural other people that would take over if i would just get bored one day and mm, they would right. just more or less transparently just shoulder the tasks that i've been doing and, and just continue in whatever means they think it's they should do it but uh, but i'm at the same time i know that um, the way i do the project i also know that i have a pretty strong presence myself i think that 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 i sometimes also i don't let others sort of uh, (laughs) reach that level sometimes before because i think i sometimes do a little bit too much myself you know why wait for someone else to do it when i can do it myself sort of Yeah. yeah and i think that sometimes isn't constructive in that regard that it doesn't really encourage others to step forward and, and, and show, show their abilities but it's also in one sense very much so your life's work and so it's, i mean talk about difficult to pass on or to to let go even if you know it's constructive on the long term to let more people into the fold or the ones who you trust to give them more responsibilities or allow them to come into that when it's like you know curl daniels it's curl it's it's your project you know it's hard to let go of that (laughs) right right yeah but of course i i I would i would like the project to be more distributed on onto more people than than we are right now and i'm i'm trying to make that happen but it's not i think i've sort of laid the groundwork for for one way to work and it has sort of developed into this so it's not that easy to just say that no no i just want to do a little part in my corner here you go ahead and do everything else because there aren't that many others who are prepared to jump in and do the others stuff so especially if we uh i can recall several years ago when we talked to you before you mentioned how some of the income you've been able to make obviously has been because of like contract jobs that you've done for various companies to add features or specific things and you know i'm just imagining that that it's very difficult to like piecemeal and, and like break off some of that whenever it's it's so kind of you focused in the minutia of it. And it's not exactly, I don't want to say not the funnest tool to work on. I've never done it, obviously, but it doesn't have this lore like some other popular projects might have like, hey, come and be a contributor. 
and you know you'll have this glorious open source lifestyle. I don't know. <laughs> you know, like I'm not sure there's much draw. How do you draw people into this project with you? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's the pipelines that? of the internet, right? It's, it's internet plumbing. Yeah, and I I it think is. that might be what attracts people then because it's a sort right. of a fundamental thing that massive effect everywhere. Yeah, so so if you contribute to curl, you can get your little piece of code into a couple of billion devices over time. Right, that is, of course, an interesting sort of feeling or challenge. Wow, or, I didn't consider that. Okay, I take it back. It's one of the things I've been thinking about. I've been putting off a blog post about developer and leveraging software, and like I feel like software developers live at what is perhaps at right now the height of of humans' ability to leverage things, and the fact that you can write one line of code, Daniel and then do a release and then that's going to get you know eventually it has, has to trickle down and go through the release process but that's going to affect you know billions of devices millions of people that is an incredible amount of leverage and i do think that that's attractive from a from a software developer's stance because how can you be most how can you live the most meaningful life it's to have the most positive impact on the most people and software really lets us do that oh absolutely sort of just do something little in my corner and it can s- seriously influence the entire world in yeah. some ways at least. So let's zoom out and talk about your community a little bit because as I've been watching Curl and your blog more closely since you were on the show, uh, one thing I did notice is you do keep it fun. Uh, you do celebrate victories like your 20-year uh, celebration post was awesome with like the Titanic reference. And you can t- I can tell that you're still lighthearted and having fun with it even though you've been doing this for 20 years you have a uh, a curl conference now you got stickers tell us about some of the stuff you're doing in the community and who all is part of it with you yeah i think i think all these other things around the project like that that isn't code also makes it fun because i mean some of the oldest other contributors or maintainers in the project they've been around for i think the oldest guy has been his I think a little over 15 years now. So some of those are really my old friends by now. So it's it's very, so, you know, setting up a little conference to meet uh, over a weekend and just talk curl for, for a weekend, that's, I, I can't think of much other things that are better, more fun to do in the weekend. And and so th- that's just awesome. And of course, then sort of making, one thing about becoming more known and, and things like getting uh, awards and prizes makes makes you makes people get your eyes open and, and see see us in slightly different sort of lights or, or angle is that suddenly people approach us with you know money or or ideas and they can print stickers for us and hand them over or they can borrow us their conference rooms for a weekend or stuff like that so it stuff also gets easier when you get known or people realize the impact so people get friendly and we get friends all over so that that is that is fun so of course i i i i like curl and i like working with it and of course i then try to sort of bring up those fun moments like celebrating 20 years of curl or now we broke the sort of we have 32,000 questions or stack overflow or now we have uh, 1700 contributors in the thanks file and stuff like that so because i i want to i want to help out the other contributors and everyone to make sure that they feel appreciated and we all appreciate what they do and i think it's fun yeah it also goes back to this 
constant question that I say that, yeah, I've been working with curl for 20 years. And then the, the constant, oh, I used it for 10 years ago and it worked exactly the same. What have you been doing? <laughs> I think we asked you that. On the last That's actually one of our questions yeah. was what's new with curl? What have you been doing these what last three what years? Ha- what have I been doing? And that's a completely natural question. And it's, I mean, it's not a bad question. It's just that, you know, when, when, when you're working with something and, and the sort of the facade or the front, it's, it's the same and, and the whole point with the tool and the library is that it should work the same way you know we work really really hard to make sure that it keeps working the same way but of course we added a little stuff and we fixed bugs and stuff but the point is that it shouldn't i mean you shouldn't realize that a lot of stuff underneath actually changed and we sort of you know replaced half of the engine and and added a lot of a lot of other things or documented everything again in another way you don't have to think about that but sometimes when I sort of, I want to sometimes help people or people in the project and people around me to realize that we are actually doing a lot of things that even if you may not think of uh, of all these changes and you used curl the same way 10 years ago, we've actually also added a whole busload of things just the last few years. And here are some of those things that you can now do that you couldn't do before and blah, 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 why that is good and how this helps your application or your usage of, of this in, in the future and so on and also sort of we're having a slight i don't know if it's i should call it feature creep but we're adding a lot of features we have a lot you know we have 215 command line options wow sometimes i feel a need to highlight parts of that to help people actually find out about things that yeah, almost discovering you know hidden features or hidden gems, so to speak, because you're not paying attention to the change log or whatever. Exactly. So either. even if it, even if the things m- might not be new, I can sometimes just write about it. Well, imagine if you want to do this, you can actually do it like this. You know, with curl, you've been able to do it for a long time, but maybe you didn't think about it. Has anybody ever written like a curl cookbook or some sort of thing where it's not necessarily like a, like it's just a pamphlet or maybe it's even only digital? But is like here are you know twenty five things that you can do with curl and then the specific examples of those commands because that would be so useful. Yes, there are there are pages like that. So um, I try to do that sometimes, but I'm not the right person to do it. I'm so entrenched in the details, so I just get lost. In mm. <laughs> I've actually written I, I've written a book about curl that I'm I'm posting online. That's okay. that I call every, everything curl. That is is really everything curl. So is it going to be like a, a, big, a big, like a curl Bible kind of thing? Or is it going to be like, is it, how long is it? I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. It's long. It's, it's, it's <laughs> that's long. what I, that's kind of how I thought it might, you might say, you said it's everything curl. I'm like, well, uh, it, that might be too yes. much curl. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is. You can find it. You can just Google it up. And it's like, yeah, if you print it, it's like 250 pages or so. Is this an ongoing thing? I mean, it sounds. It is an ongoing thing. started in 2015-ish, <laughs> something like that. Late 2015? Yeah, exactly. I think it was after our last <laughs> podcast. But yes, it's been going on for several years. And, it, uh, and it's never going to end either because it's uh, <laughs> it's just so much. I know Curl changes all the time too. So if, if I want to keep up, I need to keep up with the book. Right. Yeah. But it's an effort to to be, um, to be describe Curl and how to use Curl in a way that isn't really just man pages and, you know, reference right. documentation but actually sort of help people to 
read up about it in, in a different way. It's kind of like a did you know kind of thing. That's what, I think that would be so useful. I was thinking, you know, kind of a callback to a recent show. Maybe there's a dev hints out there for curl. And of course there is. So devhints.io slash curl. This is kind of what I'm thinking, but there's just, it's light on examples. There's three examples. And I think you could probably come up with some complex use cases where this would be super handy for this particular thing. And then here's your curl command. Um, one thing I have seen a lot of, which is really neat, is different HTTP tooling, uh, specifically like some desktop apps for Mac, will actually have like an export to curl button once you've crafted a specific request, right? And then you can just like get the curl export and put that in your terminal, and that's really cool. Yeah, the, cop the copy as curl has really become a, a popular feature, and I, yeah. I like that too. Since now I know, I mean, Firefox, Chrome, and Safari now, all of them have this copy as curl if you're using their dev tools so you can copy from their specific you know if you watch the network traffic from your browser you can select a particular request and do copy as curl from that so yes spectacular if you're trying to replay a very specific thing in the terminal you know and capture the output or whatever you want to do from from there oh yeah it's it's really handy and it's a great way to to learn how to use if you want to do something with curl and get well, it's roughly this that the, my browser just did and just get a copy and, and edit that command line. I mean, the command line is usually <laughs> quite long. And, and, 213. Uh, <laughs> mm. That's a lot of features. Yeah, but they're, right. And they're often really repetitive because the browsers, you know, they set a lot of headers. So you, you want to have the exact headers like the browsers do. So they set a, you know, a lot of them, very long command lines. But still, you, you can look at a command line and, and see this is how you could do it. So speaking of headers and speaking of, of you know, features, I actually found on your blog recently a, a feature that I'm very much looking forward to, which is a small change. But you said like the core feature set changes, you know, has stayed the same and people say curl works exactly like it used to. Uh, there are some, you know, you're doing some, some UI brush ups, uh, specifically with the dash I command, which is probably... Like if I, if you go through my history with curl, like in my command prompt, you're going to find curl dash I capital I, of course, uh, almost every time. Cause I use it for looking at headers and you're adding like bold, uh, key values on the header. So the header names are bold and then the value, you know, the text is not bold. So that's like a very small thing, but you're not ignoring the facade or the paint. You're still making small improvements to the output as well. Yes. And, and sometimes I, I have a hard time to decide what to focus on, but you know, I, I think it's fun to do that too. So I, I try to sort of move around a little bit. I can work a little bit on, on how things appear on, on the command line. I changed the, one of the progress bar outputs uh, a while ago too, just because of, it actually makes, um, it is somewhat important to some people and why not? And it's fun to work on that sometimes and then go back to, you know, debugging HTTP2 streams for, for another day. But uh, so I, I mix up and that was what makes me, of course, enjoy this since I can do I can do various things. I can play with the UI one day and then go back and work with protocol stuff another day and then work on documentation a third day and then write a blog post another day. So, yeah. So I, I've... I've um, I've actually just landed in, in Git, so it, it'll be for the next curl release, the, the code that outputs the headers as bold. Well, the, the name value is, uh, the, the name part is bold and the, uh, well, the value part is not bold. It's actually a very, very long feature, long time <laughs> coming feature well, request. 
Well, I'm sure a long time coming, but you also mentioned that this is this was not an insignificant amount of code change. Maybe you weren't set up to do this kind of output, or why why was it a bigger feature than maybe people would think it is in terms of implementation? No, I th- I think it was well because it involves the, <laughs> it's, I think it's mostly a lot of internal decisions on how to do HTTP and show headers, and you know we have this concept of headers, and curl supports a lot of different protocols. And some of them have the internal concept of headers, but I only wanted to do the bold for HTTP headers. And then I've used, so it was mostly um, um, because of how I had done this with curl up until now or not done it. And also when uh, I had to to change how, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but headers come, you know, from until this here, you know, carriage return line feed at the end of the line. So uh, you want to make sure that you actually do this on a complete header and not on a partial header. So if it would be an extremely long header, it would come. I, I would still need code to handle that. I only hand do the left part and not the right part of it. So it was a lot of you know finicky internal things that made me good old-fashioned yak shave. Yes, and sort of you know I've done a lot of decisions a long time ago that was convenient because I didn't do this, and now when I had to go back and make sure that I could split up the headers like this, then I had to just, you know, remodel a couple of things and shape it up. But I think it was all good. I think I improved some other tiny things in, in the process. And, and I know that a lot of people will appreciate getting the headers bold, however small it may sound. It's one of those details that, that makes it look better. This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is a cloud computing platform built with simplicity at the forefront. So managing infrastructure is easy. Whether you're a business running one single virtual machine or 10,000, DigitalOcean gets out of your way so teams can build, deploy, and scale cloud apps faster and more efficiently. Join the ranks of Docker, GitLab, Slack, HashiCorp, WeWork, Fastly, and more. Enjoy simple, predictable pricing. Sign up to pull your app in seconds. Head to do.co slash changelog, and our listeners get a free $100 credit to spend in your first 60 days. Try it free. Once again, head to do.co slash changelog. So I guess we came to this conversation through an embarrassing moment for me. It was uh, early in the morning on a Sunday, and uh, somebody in our Slack, Daniel, had said, hey, what's the state of HP2 and where's it going? And I'm like, great question. We should ask Ilya. We have him, we've had him on the show a while back, and it'd be great to catch up. Send him an email with the subject line, current state of HTTPS, question mark, not two. And uh, I had to quickly check that because that was obviously not right but uh was reaching out to him to essentially get an update on tls 1.3 quick and some other stuff so maybe help us kind of understand so he he said that you're working on this you got a lot of a lot of stuff going on what's going on there's a lot of stuff going on um well http2 uh, that shipped i mean the kind of 
three years ago, right? Our last uh, episode. And, and the, the RFC was published in May 2015. So yeah. So and now three years later, the work is of course they're no longer going on on standard-wise on HTTP2 very much. There are still things happening in HTTP2, but the fundamentals is there and it's good and it's working and it's being used. I could just add and perhaps that if we look at uh, traffic done by Firefox, we can see that Firefox is using HTTP2 in, I think, about 75% of all HTTPS traffic. So pretty I good. would say that is a, it's a pretty good, a significant amount of the traffic is HTTP2 now counted by volume then of course if you look at the other way sort of you know how how large percentage of all the web servers in the world that are providing http2 it's not as nice numbers then it's upwards i think we're approaching 40 percent of the top 1000 and it's it to, the top 10 million is like 25 percent or so so it's uh, and I, but it's it's still moving, and I think the numbers have are still raising pretty quickly. I think they've doubled roughly the last twelve months or so. They've been doing that for a while, so it's uh, it's growing and it's being used and it's being understood. And I think there are areas that have been more successful and some that have been less successful in in the protocol. And um, I think already when HTTP two shipped, there was this notion that the next protocol revision wouldn't at all take seven, 16 years to happen. It would happen much sooner. <laughs> that would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes. And a lot of the HTTP2 work was also laying the foundation to make sure that we could iterate protocol versions much faster and easier and more effortless in the future. So the, the HTTP2 brought a lot of that infrastructure. So what is happening... Oh, well, at, and at the same time, then when HTTP2 shipped, uh, Google had already been running their quick experiments um, in the public, you know, with with in their Chrome browser and in their service side, server side. Since I believe they went public, I don't remember 2013 or so with their quick efforts. Uh, anyway, it it. Um, Google took their efforts to the IETF and said we should make a standard version of the Quick protocol. Uh, they did that in 2016, late 2016, and and Quick being an experimental protocol that Google invented then, which is HTTP2 like, but it's done over UDP, and. Um, since then UDP, UDP isn't, um, you know, it doesn't have any, re it's not reliable, it doesn't do retransmissions or anything, and it's, right. there's no security in there or anything. So you basically implemented a, a transport stack with, that you, uh, basically a TCP-like stack that also features security then because you have want to have the not HTTPS, but HTTPS-like. So, so you have, you know, UDP and TCP. Don't those operate kind of at the same level of the of the stack? So, why would you take UDP and then make it TCP-like? Doesn't that sound like exactly. you're just 
<laughs> exactly. Okay, <you're laughs> exactly. <with> <laughs> well, we can we can we, I can take one step back first. Why okay. would you wh why wouldn't yeah. you invent a new protocol? Like why if you want to make it better TCP, why not make a TCP two like on like right. you know in parallel to TCP? But you that that has basically been ruled out because of all the middle boxes and NATs and firewalls and everything in the world that has that makes it really really hard to introduce any new transport protocols nowadays. Mm. So we're stuck. Mm -hmm. So we're pretty much stuck. TCP, UDP, those are the ones we have to choose between. And so now the answer is, well, we can't change TCP enough to make it faster or better or more secure, but we can take UDP, which is very lightweight and doesn't have any of these things that TCP has, and make it TCP-like, but not with some of the trappings, I guess? Exactly. By by choosing UDP and basically do it all yourself, we can then you can basically decide... If, how to do it well yeah just do whatever you want and in 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 google's case then they have a fairly large uh, client side implementation and a fairly large server side implementation they had they were in an excellent position to you know experiment with mm -hmm. doing their own protocol over udp and implement all this and make check it out how does it work and it worked really good and they uh, figured out that this is a protocol we should make a standard for, for the web and the internet. Can either of you give a 10-second slash 60-second version of the difference between TCP and UDP? TCP is like setting up a string between two computers, you know, a, a physical string, and you pass on data in one end, and it will arrive in the other end, or it might get, might get connected. But the data will arrive, or not arrive at all, but it will arrive, and it will be... A, unaltered and with and it will arrive in the same order that was this it was sent from the sender so it's, it's basically a way to transport data and make sure that it's a re reliable transport and it's um, f from in in both directions mm -hmm. but uh, udp on the other hand is basically as you know sending notes <laughs> in the air or whatever writing pieces of paper and throw it away over message it in might, a bottle it, uh, yeah it might arrive it might not and and it might arrive in another order too so it's it's much more lightweight and it's it's meant for it's been used for you know for dns and traditionally for dns ntp and and um, and traditionally also for rtp for video yeah but you but really never on a really wide scale high speed internet scale like this so that has always been one of the biggest concerns. Will UDP break stuff now? Because we haven't designed things for, for UDP at this level. But over, over time, it has proven that most of the things actually work pretty well anyway. And uh, over time, people have also adjusted things and improved you know, infrastructure and routers and things. That, so things are going better. And... And looking at Google's numbers, they claim that they rough, I think my number is old now, but they said already like a year or two ago that 7% of internet is quick already. And that's a quite a big share of data run, running. So quick point. is the new version of what H2 has been, right? The evolution of H1 to H2 is now coming to quick and... And, and quick is a... Is a Quick is a lot of things, um, because first it was the Quick that Google made. Right, and now it's evolved to something else. Yes. <laughs> I mean, because it's, so, it's a long time ago, too, when they started this, like, I think 2013, 2012, or something like that, when Quick was begun. Uh, yes, exactly. So I think they went public with it in 2013, but then 
they had already been working on it in private before that. But but then they they produced what I call Google Quick, and and that is basically sending HTTP two over UDP with a custom custom uh, encryption uh, code. That so um, so you could you could almost use your HTTP two implementation and just provide that quick stack and it would work. Um, but when they when they took that protocol, well, they 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 kept up with documenting how the protocol worked and they had a website for everything and and they made it all in the public and they took that their latest update of the drafts to the IETF and said we should document this protocol this is quick from Google and blah 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 and when they brought it into the IETF and it, they started to look at it and decide decided on how, how to move forward on this they came to the conclusion that that you know this bundled solution that is one transport protocol that is only sending HTTP2 wasn't ideal for for a protocol or a trans transport like this so they came up with a with a conclusion that it quick should be split in a transport part and an application part so it should be able to also transport other things than HTTP and DNS was one of the first things that were discussed and has been one of the sort of second protocols that have been, been in, involved uh, been in discussion all the time so then it so then quick became quick the transport and HTTP over quick is the new HTTP is that the final is that the final version of quick or is that a transitionary version as well well it's not final because it's not done yet <laughs> they, the, so okay. they took it they took it to the ITF and they they, they created a, a quick working group in the ITF and within that group there has been a lot of activities since then. They have, um, they're now doing draft 12 of the specs and they have four different specs, I think. Uh, the plan is to be done by November this year, 2018. With the spec? With the specs. Although there, there are multiple, <laughs> so there are several. I think there are four or five specs. But yeah, I don't think they will stick to this plan because they, <laughs> there are still too many loose parts and, and moving. Uh, I guess the question might be, as a zoom out might be, uh, this is all in an effort to obviously make progress, but to make it easier to iterate on something that has been traditionally harder to iterate on. Yeah, but, but also sort of when HTTP2 shipped, we all were aware of a lot of shortcomings and things that we could improve further in, in the transport protocols. So when we went to HTTP 2, we improved a lot of things from HTTP 1.1, but there are still a lot of other things that HTTP 2 can't really do and where it has bottlenecks or problems that we can solve. And we couldn't really solve them with the TCP in the HTTP 2 context, but going too quick, we can solve even more problems. Uh, some of those problems that are still present in HTTP 2. And, and, and there are, I mean, apart from just fixing things in TCP, fixing things in TCP is pr really, really difficult in general, you know, um, because of not only, there, there are many reasons why TCP is difficult to, to change, but two of them are that Again, we have a lot of middle boxes over the internet. You know, we're, you're talking through NATs and routers and everything, and they know, in with air quotes, how TCP works. So if you if you change how TCP works slightly, you know, you add a little thing here and there, there you break uh, 
X percent of those boxes and they will refuse to send it because they know that's not TCP anymore. You mean if you're just tuning parameters or if you like fundamentally change the protocol? Because tuning parameters, they shouldn't break. Like that's that would just be really bad programming on those boxes. Well, well, yes, but that's the reality. Just as a uh, sort of a little story into this, one of the features they added in TCP, I think it's like seven years ago, they added the TCP fast open, which is a it's a way to send the data already in the first SYN packet in TCP. You know, when when you do a TCP handshake, you do a SYN and SYN. There's a three-way handshake. So in order to to gain round trip, you could they invented this method where you could add data already in the SYN packet, in the first packet. So you would save a round trip, you would get data earlier. And you know, a lot of this struggle is to get data earlier, you know, soon reduce round trips, get data earlier. So sending data already in the first packet of TCP, that's, that's potentially, you know, saving, well, if not tens, but sometimes hundreds of milliseconds if you're far away. So that's a huge benefit. But implementing and using t this TFO over the internet today, it turns out to be a struggle and a pain to, to make sure that works. Because there are so many machines out there that blocks that little new bit that comes saying, here's a TFO. No, uh, 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 that's not TCP the way we want it. Deny. Yeah, that's a tough problem. I mean, you just have so much infrastructure out there. It's not feasible to, to like change the boxes in the middle because there's just too many owners, too many places, too many situations that you're never going to be able to replace those. Exactly. That's what they call ossification nowadays. So, yeah. the, and, the, and the grand solution to that is encrypt everything. Mm. Because so so that no none of the, these middle boxes can actually you know peek into those little bits and bytes and, and your packets, yeah exactly they can't figure out you wanted this because they don't know it they just have to pass it on so then you can add things over time so that is one reason why Quick is now uh, really really <laughs> encrypted to uh, as much as possible really so so but that sort of that shows how it's hard to change even TCP over the wire, but then also just changing, you know, in the implementations of TCP, their kernel based stacks, you know, that takes forever. This TFO implement, then the spec came seven years ago, is only like a year ago or so that Windows finally implemented it widely. So it takes forever for this to be implemented widely. So if, if you want to iterate fast, you can't do it like that. And then there's this um, uh, another technical problem with, for example, for that TCP has on HTTP two shows is the is a problem with packet loss. You know, when when HTTP two was introduced, it was um, the new method of doing transfers is to do all, a lot of streams over a single physical connection. So you would typi typically do one hundred streams over the same TCP connection, just a lot of logical streams th over it, which is a good way to do a lot of parallel transfers, but only using one connection. And, and this is really good as long as your network is decent. And it turns out then if your network turns out to be very lossy and you start losing packets, then it turns then having just a single TCP stream or TCP connection is really not ideal because then losing one packet in the middle there that means that you're waiting for one packet to get resent to get those 100 streams continue mm. while, while as previously you would do 
typically perhaps six connections per host and you would do sharding you would maybe have 20 connections or 30 connections with HTTP 1.1 to sites. So it's almost like faster networks get faster, but slow networks get slower. Slow as it's uh, unreliable, maybe is the better word. Not slow, but unreliable. Exactly. Slow as in bad, uh, bad net, bad radio. Exactly. Because H2 is really good if you're far away. So for people really, really far away from their servers, it's it's excellent. It's may, possibly those who actually gain the most by H2. Because they need to make less TCP connections? Yeah, and, and much less uh, round trips. So you can you know, fire off 100 requests at once, basically, and get the responses when, instead of you know, this ping pong request, response, request, response, waiting, sending, waiting, sending. And so, well, this TCP limitation is not there in, in Quick. In Quick, you create connections, but they're not connections in the same way as TCP has them. So, you and when you're sending stream, the streams themselves are reliable within the stream. So you we can send things, and you know you know that the, the picture or image or whatever you send, it will arrive in the other end unmodified and exactly as it was sent from the other from the source. But the streams they are independent from each other. So if you drop a packet somewhere in the middle that belongs to stream one, stream two can still continue because it's, it still has all its little packets. So it's only the one that actually has lost packets that has to wait. So this, is, this makes uh, the lossy network situation completely different because then if you lose a few packets somewhere, yeah, sure, those streams with that belong to those that actually have lost packets, they will have to wait and you know resend the packets and everything. But the others, they can continue. Sounds like thank goodness for UDP because it's provided us a loophole around the ossification, right? Like we would have been stuck if this UDP hack wasn't available to us. Exactly, it is exactly like that. So yeah, so th- that's why it has to be UDP and that's why we're do- doing all this work, implementing you know, TCP-like stacks in user space in both ends. So in, in so Quick as a protocol is, I would say, far more advanced than H2 then, because now you also have to implement the transport part and then the HTTP part on top of that. Open source is what fuels new industries and pushes long-standing ones forward. In its 20th year, OzCon continues the tradition of bringing you the latest technological advances and a path to successfully implement open source in your workflow. OzCon 2018 features frameworks like TensorFlow, MXNet, and PyTorch, two blockchain projects like Hyperledger, Bitcoin, and Ethereum, as well as infrastructure disruptors like Kubernetes, Prometheus, and Istio you'll get an insider's look at the open source implementations that will have the most profound impact on your business. Enjoy new events like live coding sessions and the OzCon Business Summit. And don't miss the fun evening events and receptions, the open source awards, and plenty of networking opportunities for everyone. Save 20% off with code changelog on gold, silver, and bronze passes. Head to ozcon.com to learn more and register. Daniel, what if you were just to describe Quick's mission, what would it be? It would be to reduce round trips and work this pretty much 
is transparently the same way as H2, but better and secure by default and always. There's no clear text quick. And of course, that is the HTTP over quick, how that will appear. There will be more quick after this quick. <laughs> That's gonna, there's more quick coming after this quick. Wasn't H2 supposed to be all encrypted too? Or, and maybe they backed up on that at the last minute. Yeah, exactly. Well, H2 in reality, I would say over the web, on the internet or the web is encrypted always. But the standard the allows for, for both. Yeah, exactly. The spec is, is sort of, you can do it either way. But for quick, there's no unencrypted version. You, you need TLS 1.3. That's sort of, you can't avoid it. You said there's more quick coming. Uh, we, this quick hasn't even arrived yet. How can we? How can we look for that far down the down the pipeline? Uh, I think I think that is maybe we don't have to care about it right now. But <laughs> phew. But you know, when, when I said this, when they when Google took this into ITF, they decided we should split it into transport and, and application, and the application is HTTP, and we should prepare for another application, maybe DNS, and then we they also said, oh well, we also need, want. Uh, quick to be able to handle multipath, which is, I don't know if you know about TCP, multipath TCP, but that's setting up multiple paths between two endpoints over the internet. But then they decided that uh, maybe we don't have time to get into multipath in quick v1. So we postponed the multipath part. So there's already this talk about, ah, oh, but then quick v2 will be making sure that we can actually do DNS and do multipath and stuff like that. Basically postpone because it hasn't been enough time to cram it in into version one. So you mentioned earlier that 7% roughly, and that might be an older number of the internet is using quick. Specifically, if you're using uh, Google Chrome and you're speaking to Google services, you're most definitely using quick and just, just don't know it. What about the rest of us? Like what's the What's the roadmap look like in terms of adoption or uh, production use and when we should start thinking about this? Many of us are still trying to get on H2, and so maybe this is a little overwhelming, but uh, maybe you can skip H2 and go straight to quick. I don't know. Uh, I would say that, I mean, yeah, I, I, I get that there's some notion of that. And maybe if you haven't gone to H2 by the end of this year, maybe you should consider just going to quick at once, but I don't know. Uh, well. The Google Quick was not implemented by many others than just than Google alone. So right. the Cadia server has an implementation, and there are a few other standalone implementations, but they were never they have never been widely deployed or adopted. So the Google Quick version is primarily used by Chrome and the Google servers. So that is basically what seven percent of the internet traffic is. Um, but the IETF version of Quick, which is then quite different over the wires in since of this divide and they changed the crypto layer and they changed pretty much everything in, in the protocol so the IETF version of quick is being implemented by a lot of different players all the ones that you can expect then i mean uh, the browsers and the big server vendors and the big servers service vendors like facebook is a lot of, on it uh, and the cdns too so going i mean going into the future we will see this being getting deployed and used by all the big players that were involved with h2 h2 deployment so are you working on this on mozilla's behalf on curl's behalf both perhaps how does it fit into into your life now well i'm actually not that involved in quick okay. I'm, I'm i'm mostly sort of i'm participating I'm, I'm reading the traffic i'm i'm uh, 
getting the news and, and sort of following the, that's a, a steady stream of, of GitHub issues and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm participating a, a bit for, for actually for both interest from a Mozilla perspective and a curl perspective, but because of course I, I want to make sure how it to learn and know how it works and understand everything. And, that, and then as soon as it becomes possible and I get the time and energy implement it to support it in curl. What kind of timeline would you expect for that? Would you wait for the, the draft needs to be like formalized, right? So that November 2018, what they're shooting for, you wouldn't start any sooner than that, would you? Yeah, I would, depending on things. But <laughs> tell, tell us more. Uh, what things? Well, you know, it's like, you know, building a tower or something or building a house. When, when, you can, when can you move in? Or um, when, when I implemented H2 for curl, I went in pretty early and, and started implementing support already in, in one of the drafts, I think, a year before it, it finalized. And that turned out to be really useful, you know, both as feedback back into the standard process, but also, but also a lot of just, you know, trying out things and getting, getting everything working and, and interrupting with all the other implementers. So I think it's really useful to get in as early as possible, but when, but not too early from my point of view, because um, in the quick, uh, world and of course there's so much transport here and I want to have the transport part fairly uh, done by the time I start adding the HTTP parts on top of that <laughs> transport stuff and then I uh, and then I need to co cooperate with others to to do this to do a library or well, there is already many libraries of course that implement this but I I'm having a particular one in, in mind and I want to work with those guys to make sure that we get an HTTP over quick library that works fine with curl and that I can make sure that curl uses. I'm expecting us to, or me to start doing that soon. I, I've actually thought I would have already started by now, but I think the, the spec hasn't really moved on as fast as I anticipated it. And um, and the library is also not really there, so and I haven't really had the time. So, well, maybe in a month or, or, or so, I would say, hopefully during the summer, I could get a start on it. Well, we talk about the ossification of our infrastructure, and at least in Curl's case, and on the software side. And on the client side, we appreciate that you are so eager to jump in and to help, you know, beta test, if you will, the, the implementation of these things, and maybe even write one of the early client-side implementations of supporting these things so that um, we can continue moving forward because when curl you know adopts something a lot of devices around the world are now can speak that language right so that's pretty cool you mentioned dns as the other potential application of quick uh, underneath dns i'm assuming there you wouldn't gain any speed because udp alone is got to be faster than quick right because quick has additional things but um there you're gaining that encrypted connection are there other for am i am i on point there yeah and i think there's an even greater sort of there's a bigger goal here too i mean there's this <laughs> this term that has been used within the itf several times that i can drop here that they talk about the post tcp world if 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 you want to go to things completely tcp less then you need um, you need to do the other protocols over quick basically Mm. And I, I'm not sure why they picked DNS as the uh, other protocol to use here, because I mean DNS is it has its own 
road forward in other ways. So I'm not sure sure exactly how this is going to turn out. So I, I'm, I can't really speak much about why they picked DNS or what they're anticipating, what, what they want from that over Quick. Because nowadays we see a lot of DNS going over TLS and DNS over HTTPS mm-hmm. coming. So, so we're already sort of fixing up the security parts and the privacy parts for DNS like this. So I don't know. So a post TCP world. I've never had this consideration, so this is my this is my first time even thinking about what are the implications. Dan, you probably thought about it a little bit more. What does that imply? What is what does that change? Seems like a simplification, but maybe not because you got to put so much stuff in quick. Well, one of the interesting things with a, without TCP is what what is an HTTPS URL really, right? So an an or an HTTP URL for that matter, but HTTPS URLs uh, they are basically implying TCP, right? Or HPS is, since, I mean, they're not saying connect to me on UDP port 443 anyway, because you probably don't have that. So that's that's one of, one of the greater challenges is how to move away from that. And I just, I, we, I didn't mention that, but the way you bootstrap into a quick world from HTTP or HTTP2 is that this, the server is replying with an alt services header saying, you can connect to me, you can connect to this origin over on this server using this protocol, blah, blah, blah. And then you continue from there and you cache that information. I was actually gonna ask about that. Is that then a, a UDP request? Like the client sends one of those first or is that it can't be a TCP request? Well, the initial one will be an HTTP or you'd rather upgrade to HTTP2 probably first. And that response will say, you con- the next one you can continue on over here using quick this version, blah, blah, blah. So you still have the required handshaking and you still have the setup time on that very first request because you don't know if it's going to be a quick server basically until you do. And then from then on, you can assume that and you can also cache that in the client. Yeah, and it has a lifetime. So if you have it, if you know you're going to provide that for a year, you can set up a really, really long lifetime. So so everyone will cache that for a long time. But there's also this, going back to the ossification and stuff, uh, UDP is also not as successful to use over the internet as TCP. So there's still this, you know, single digit percentage of connections that will fail over UDP that will sort of never handshake quick at all. So you still have to have that fallback mechanism to go back to H2 if the quick connection doesn't work. At least that is what we're doing now and for the foreseeable future. I was going to say, now you're telling me there's no such thing as a post-TCP world then, because you're just going to be stuck <laughs> with it forever. <laughs> Post-TCP first. Possibly, you know, how everything gets stuck. There's always something left of the old technology somewhere, so, you know, we'll never get rid of everything. Mm. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm really just wondering what the, the implications are. Like, why would, like, the IETF is using this term now internally in in their conversations? And it's like, I don't understand why you would want a post-TCP world, unless it's just because it's just old and quick's better in every single way eventually. Yeah, I guess. I guess it's because it then... It doesn't solve the ossification problem. It it allows you to keep on developing the protocols freely. That's right. Much yeah. more, much more freely. So if you want to implement multipath uh, next year or or in twenty twenty, you can do that because you have encrypted everything from the beginning. So there won't be any middle boxes that prevents you from implementing new cool features that you come up 
in the future. So I, I think there's a lot of that. Except for that first request. <laughs> you still got to get it through there. Yeah, yeah. But then, I mean, that's the current approach. I, I guess that there will be those who will do the, you know, the happy eyeballs approach that when you try both at the same time and you go with the one that responds and stuff like that. So, I mean, that is also a solvable solution. You can probably invent something in the future that will do it differently. So where should uh, where should developers out there in open source land, where should they be putting Quick on their radar and thinking about it more or less important uh, in terms of maybe somebody's running a website like changeall.com or maybe they're running a networked service like Twitch or something like, is this something that we should all just be patiently waiting for? Should we be getting involved? Maybe that depends on who you are and what you're up to. But what would be your advice with regards to quick i mean uh, it's of course a technology that if you're if you're into low latency serving things from either end over the internet this is a technology that is coming so of course getting familiar with it and how it works and and what it means for you that's a, it's a good start but but it will take a while until there are reliable and solid implementations of this so if you want to work on code now you you're pretty early on and you get to get a lot of funny things and rough edges if you if you try it out but of course it's a chance too to work on this bleeding edge protocol stuff so daniel you have the ear of the open source community uh you're an elder statesman now uh, if, if you will uh, being uh, awarded a, a medal by the swedish king i mean that that's something doesn't happen uh, every day so you got that going for you uh, if you could, if you could give some closing advice uh, on this time around uh, to our listeners and to us with regards to open source software development life whatever it is uh, as parting words what would you what would you share with the audience my general advice when it comes to open source and, and software development like this in general is to first to make sure that you try to find what is fun for you and work on that because other if you don't do that you end up not doing it at all so so finding your project or your ideas or whatever you it scratches i mean your itch you scratch your itch and that that makes you actually do something and that's that's fun and then you can possibly become productive and then i think you also need patience that's whatever you do in in this area of of, of so of work you need to be sure that it some some things just takes a lot of time and don't, i mean not only sort of time to get things done but also time to find i mean to make sure that others find your project and that you find your users or that whatever that you get your stuff completed things take a lot of time and speaking of patience uh going back to the beginning of the conversation the 20 years post you mentioned titanic you'd mentioned that google wasn't even formed yet uh, and here we just talked about Google leading quick or at least beginning quick. And now it's where it's at now. I mean, it's pretty interesting to see the patience it must have taken on your part to deliver curl and then evolve it over years and, and be patient with all the change. Oh, yeah. And it's uh, yeah. And, and so sort of just looking back over time and see what a different world and a different society we had back then. It's only 20 years, but uh, um, most of everything we know today, it wasn't like that 20 years ago. Well, cool, Daniel. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks for coming back again. Thanks for your super awesome service to the community in ways I'm sure that the future generations of the entire world will truly appreciate. Maybe uh, maybe lesser than, than we need them to, but I mean, having something that's 
so widely adopted and so widely used, I'm sure it will be around forever, right? for as long as the internet needs it, right? So Yeah, exactly. As long as it's needed, it's going to be there. Yeah. It's 20 years so far, so 20 years more at least, for sure. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this show, do me a favor. Share it with a friend. Go on Twitter. Tweet about it. Go back into Overcast and favorite it. Or whatever you're using, give it a thumbs up. Tell a friend. And of course, thank you to our sponsors, Rollbar, Digital Ocean, and also OzCon. We're going to be there, by the way. So if you're going to be at OzCon this year, make sure you say hi. And Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we catch our errors before our users do because of Rollbar. Head to Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers. Check them out at Leno.com slash Changelog. This show is hosted by myself, Adam Stachowiak, and Jared Santo. Editing is by Tim Smith. And, of course, the beats are by Breakmaster Cylinder. You can find more shows just like this at changelaw.com. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our weekly email. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.